welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. As has become the usual over my last several episodes, I just want to say I'm thinking of all my listeners. I hope you're doing your very best to stay safe, healthy, entertained, employed, whatever your circumstances might be during this COVID-19 pandemic, and I hope it's over soon. I know we all are hoping it's over soon, and I really do hope that my podcast, short and strange though it might be, is providing you some escape and a few laughs and some information during the strange days that are ahead. I really am thinking of all of my listeners. And as a part of that, on my Patreon, I've begun releasing tangent casts at all levels, so you no longer have to be at the $5 a month level or above to subscribe. So I know right now times can be financially tough for a lot of people. I'm very aware of that. I am a graduate student after all. So because of that, I've decided to open content in a way that is more financially accessible. And if that is too much for you, but you still want to hear tangent casts, I'm also very aware of that. You can reach out to me on Twitter or email me at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com and we can chat and work something out and I can send you tangent casts like on a one-on-one basis if that's something you're interested in. In other non-COVID news, because I know no one wants to talk that much about COVID, another thing that is making me sad is the fact that it snowed this week in Chicago. It's the middle of April and there is snow. I really shouldn't be that surprised about it. I mean, I did sign up for wonky weather by living in Chicago. Also, I spent four years living in New Hampshire. I'm no stranger to snow deep, deep in spring, but still, it was a concept. All the snow has melted and the weather is back into the high 50s, so hooray for a weird non-California weather. Anyways, moving on to the subject of today's study guide. I'm going to be talking about Maria Teresa of Spain, Louis XIV's first wife. And I just want to say, doing research on Maria Teresa was way more difficult than I was expecting. She is very not present in the secondary sources. I'm sure if I had really done a deep dive into primary sources, I would have found a lot more about her. But let's be honest, I did not have the time or energy to read a ton of French primary sources from the 1600s. My thesis is due in less than a month, and reading too much French gives me a headache. But yeah, she's really absent in the secondary sources, unlike a lot of other women in Louis XIV's life, so it was definitely a bit of a challenge, but I do love a challenge. Maria Teresa's study guide has a lot of gambling, a mysterious baby, and even more incest, if such a thing is possible. Let's begin. Maria Teresa of Spain was born September 10th, 1638. 
Her father was King Philip IV of Spain, the younger brother of Anne of Austria, and her mother was Elizabeth of France, the younger sister of King Louis XIII of France. She was the second of their two surviving children, although they had had a bunch more children before Maria Theresa, but all of them had died in childhood. In 1644, Maria's mother, Elizabeth of France, died, which was fairly difficult on Maria Theresa because the two were very close, which was a rarity in European royal households, as I discussed in the Anne of Austria podcast. Then, two years later, Maria's oldest brother died, which meant that suddenly Maria was the heir to the Spanish throne. Because unlike in most of Europe, women could inherit the throne of Spain. The death of Maria's oldest brother also left behind his fiance, Mariana, who just so happened to be his cousin. Then, for various political reasons, her father, Philip IV, ended up marrying Mariana. Yes, they are literally uncle and niece, but that's totally okay for the purposes of continuing a royal line. The Pope signs off on it and everything, and the fact that an uncle and niece have gotten married and are going to have children together totally won't create genetic issues that will have big ramifications for the Spanish Habsburgs specifically and all of Europe generally. Oh, also, Mariana is only four years older than Maria, who is eight years old at the time, so she's 12 when she marries her uncle, which is especially gross. Given all of this, we shouldn't be surprised that Mariana and Philip do not have an especially happy marriage. Growing up, our heroine, Maria Teresa, does not have the happiest of childhoods. Both her father and her stepmother, who remember, do not have a happy marriage are going to be pretty distant to young Maria. On top of this, for most of Maria's childhood, a war between France and Spain is going on. This war is a result of the Thirty Years' War, where the two had fought on opposite sides. Despite both being Catholic, France supported the Protestants during the war against Spain in the Austrian Habsburgs in an attempt to counter the growing power of the Habsburgs. Even though the Thirty Years' War ended in 1648, fighting between Spain and France continued because the two were the largest powers in Europe and one eventually has to win, right? Well, by the mid-1650s, both France and Spain were pretty sick of the whole fighting thing and were trying to reach some sort of peace treaty. And that happened with the 1659 Treaty of the Pyrenees. As part of the treaty, Maria gets engaged to King Louis XIV of France, who just so happens to be her cousin, to help unite France and Spain, and put an end to the fighting once and for all. As part of the treaty, Maria has to give up her claim to the throne of Spain. Luckily for the Spanish people, she is no longer first in line to the throne because in 1657, her half-brother is born. 
In exchange for giving up her claims to the throne, Maria was supposed to be paid an annual allowance by France, but that's never going to happen, which is going to cause all sorts of drama down the line. The marriage between Maria Theresa and Louis is a huge deal because, like I said, it brings the two countries together and officially ends a decades-long war. However, Louis XIV was not a fan of the marriage since the beginning because he'd rather marry one of his mother's junior ladies-in-waiting who had no political connections whatsoever, but he got talked down from this silly idea by Anne of Austria and her right-hand man, the Cardinal Mazarin. With the marriage all nice and negotiated and the ink on the treaty almost dry, Maria left Spain at the start of June 1660 to go to her new home in France. Even though Maria and her father didn't have the best relationship, she did have an actual goodbye with Philip IV and, according to contemporary sources, was extremely sad about the entire thing. Then, on June 9th, 1660, Maria married Louis XIV in the city of Saint-Deleuze on the Spanish-French border. The two had technically been previously married via proxy beforehand, which was customary at the time. And as a cute reminder, Louis and Maria are double first cousins. Maria's mother is Louis's father's sister, and her father is Louis's mother's brother. So from a genetic family tree standpoint, this marriage is a huge clusterfuck. Luckily, though, the two are the same age. They're both 22 and were actually born within a week of each other. So at least we don't have any disgusting age gaps to deal with amidst this biological nightmare. After the wedding, the two spent about two months traveling from southern France back to Paris itself with a ton of ceremony at each stop along the way. The marriage between Maria and Louis initially started out okay, by which I mean Maria got along super well with her mother-in-law slash aunt, Anne of Austria, which is always a win in royal marriages, and gave birth to a son within the year, which is always a good sign, re being queen. However, soon after the wedding, Louis's main advisor, the Cardinal Mazarin, died. And after Mazarin's death, Louis announced that he was going to rule all on his own, aka would only use advisors for advice when he absolutely needed to. This means that for all of Marie's marriage to Louis, he was going to be fully in charge of France doing his own thing, especially with the ladies. And that's when her marriage to Louis starts to take a downwards turn very quickly. Maria was not considered attractive by French standards. Most of the complaints were around her mouth and forehead because apparently both were too big, although the same people complaining about the size of her mouth were also talking about how she had the most beautiful blonde hair and she had really lovely pale skin, both of which were major parts of contemporary beauty standards. Also, 
Maria hadn't been taught how to speak French, so she couldn't really communicate with her husband. And more importantly, she hadn't been taught how to dance, which Louis absolutely loved to do, which meant that she just didn't fit in to French court culture at all. By 1661, a year into the marriage, Louis has an official mistress, Louise de la Valerie. He also starts a bit of a flirtation with one of his cousins, Henriette Anne, who would end up marrying his little brother. So yeah, that's not awkward at all. However, Maria doesn't really fight any of this. She gets a reputation for being super sweet and more than a little passive and timid. She prefers to stay out of all the intrigue and court drama, and trust me, there's a lot of intrigue and court drama swirling around at Versailles. Because of her tendency to stay out of things, within the court, she gets a reputation for being a bit of an idiot, especially because she's always the last one to find out about whatever mistress Louis is sleeping with at the minute, but at the same time, there's a lot of contemporary sympathy for Maria Theresa because she's really kind and pretty harmless, and it's hard not to feel bad for her. As Queen of France, Maria Theresa doesn't really do a great job, to be perfectly honest. She has no interest on taking on the public role that is required of being queen, and let's be honest, at this point in time, that's one of the big things that queens have to do. Queens don't have a ton of political power unless they're regents. Their main job is to give birth to sons and take part in public events and smile and wave. And Maria Theresa has no interest in the second, which is really going to cause conflict between her and Louis, who wants his queen to be extremely publicly facing and making him look good to the masses. Instead, Maria prefers to hang out with Anne of Austria and be able to speak Spanish and talk about religious matters. This means that she and her husband are always going to have quite a bit of divide between them. In fact, the only place where Maria is really going to fit in with the French court is going to be gambling. As it turns out, Maria Theresa loves herself some card games. She usually spends at least two hours a day gambling, but it's usually a lot more than that. She ends up going into a lot of debt, so much so that the French treasury has to get involved, and several of her ladies-in-waiting like to make jokes that they could support themselves entirely on the money they had won from the queen. One time, she loses so much money in a single game of cards that she skips mass to try to win the money back, which is a big deal because she is famous for being so religious. Even though Maria and Louis aren't exactly close, they don't have a lot to talk about, the two are physically close enough at least that she is having multiple pregnancies. Maria will end up giving birth six times. However, only one of her children, the first one, her son Louis, will survive past childhood. 
the death of each subsequent child is completely devastating for Maria Teresa. She genuinely feels like each of these deaths are punishment from God, although what God would be punishing her for, because she is pious, is unknown to me. Because only her son Louis survives, Maria is going to be really close to him, and she's going to be fairly obsessed with ensuring that he's properly raised, kept healthy, has a good reputation, has a great education, etc., etc. Besides Louis, there's really only one other child of Maria Teresa that gets spoken about a lot, and that is her daughter Maria Anna, who she gives birth to in 1664. Maria Anna is born prematurely and doesn't survive. In fact, Maria herself almost dies in the process. Due to oxygen deprivation and a really long labor, the baby is born with purple skin, and rumors about Maria Anna quickly spread. One rumor is that Maria had been having an affair with an African man, and the baby was secretly his. This rumor probably came about because of the purplish tint to Maria Anna's skin due to the oxygen deprivation that she suffered during labor. However, this is extremely unlikely. As we established, Maria was super pious, did not have a reputation for sleeping around, and if she had been sleeping around, it seems unlikely that she would have been sleeping with someone of African descent. The other big rumor is that the baby, still of African descent, did not actually die, but was secretly smuggled away to a convent to be raised by nuns. In this version of the story, the baby wasn't a secret child of Maria Theresa, but was actually an illegitimate daughter of Louis XIV and a woman of African descent instead. And then in the 1680s, a nun named Louis-Marie de Saint-Therese, who is Black, pops up claiming to be the king's daughter, and it just so happens that Louis-Marie de Saint-Therese has a pretty big dowry from the king, and no one's really sure where this dowry comes from, what her connection to the king is. The king's second wife at the time says, yeah, no, she's not the king's illegitimate daughter, shuts that down right away, but the mystery remains. Either way, my take on it is Maria Anna, the dead baby, was the legitimate daughter of Maria Teresa and Louis XIV, who died during childbirth and had a darker skin tone due to oxygen deprivation, and the nun, whoever she may be, had no relation to Maria Teresa specifically. The next year, 1665, was a bit of a rough year for Maria Teresa. At Easter, Louis XIV was unable to take public communion because the confessor who would have given it to him refused 
because one of Louis's mistresses had just given birth to one of his illegitimate children, and adultery is a sin, and the confessor was like, by giving you confession and absolving you of your sins, I would be a massive hypocrite. So Louis instead has to take confession in private from another priest. This is super embarrassing for the entire royal family because this priest is essentially airing Louis's dirty laundry to the entire public, but it's especially humiliating for Maria because, one, it's pointing out to everyone that her husband is not being faithful with her, and not only is he being unfaithful, he is having children with other women, which, yikes, especially because most of her children have died, and two, Maria is especially religious, and suddenly her husband can't partake in the traditional religious ceremonies. Then, in September 1665, Maria's father, Philip IV, dies. Yes, Maria and Philip hadn't exactly been close, but Philip's death causes quite a lot of political drama for all of Europe. The heir to the Spanish throne is Philip IV's son and Maria's half-brother, Charles, who, one, is only five years old, and two, is super unhealthy due to the whole his parents being uncle and niece thing. As soon as Charles takes the throne of Spain, there is an immediate search for who should be next in line to the throne when, and not if, when Charles dies, because everyone's expecting it to be a matter of months. The plan is to have the throne go to Charles's younger sister, Marguerite, because Maria had given up her rights to the Spanish throne as part of her marriage treaty. However, the marriage treaty never had been technically fulfilled because France hadn't paid any of Maria's dowry, which makes it uncertain if Maria's renunciation of her rights actually counts, which would mean that she would get the throne of Spain as soon as her little stepbrother died. Louis XIV makes it extremely clear to everyone that he will be fighting for Maria's right to the throne of Spain, especially because it means his son could inherit the throne after her if Maria does in fact get her rights back. However, Charles II of Spain doesn't exactly die. He surprises everyone by not being healthy per se, but sticking around, which means that Louis XIV needs another way to regain some of Maria's rightful Spanish inheritance. He decides that the most effective way to do that is to grab a piece of the Spanish Netherlands. Even though the whole throne of Spain thing is unresolved, Maria still has a decent claim to the Spanish Netherlands due to a Spanish law that says daughters from a first marriage can claim some of their father's lands if his sons only came from a second marriage. And that is exactly what happened in Maria's case, so she can still claim a chunk of her father's lands, aka the Spanish Netherlands. However, as soon as Louis puts forth this idea, Spain rejects it. And while all this drama between France and Spain over the Spanish Netherlands is going on, Anne of Austria dies of breast cancer, which means that Maria is finally the only queen in France, although she's not really 
going to be able to enjoy this all that much because Anne of Austria was really the only person fully keeping Louis from having as many public mistresses as he wanted because he really did care about Anne's opinion more than Maria's. In 1667, Louis starts sending troops to the Spanish Netherlands to protect Maria's rights to it. This decision is immediately unpopular with the rest of Europe because it is seen as a massive overstep on Louis's end. However, England and the Netherlands, the other two major powers in Europe, are busy fighting each other in one of the Anglo-Dutch wars, so they can't exactly intervene and stop him. Louis ends up going with his army to the Spanish Netherlands, which means that Maria will have a chance to be regent of France. She isn't exactly a fan of this whole arrangement. She has no interest in politics or being regent, but she serves as regent anyways because, hey, what's a woman to do? And France doesn't come crashing down into destruction during her regency. So, yay, good job, Maria. Eventually, Maria and her side of the French court go to Flanders to see Louis during the fighting. During her visit to Flanders, Louis starts to get extremely close to one of Maria's ladies-in-waiting, a young woman named Madame de Montespan. While this is going on, his relationship with his main mistress, Louise, starts to go massively downhill, while his relationship with Maria is pretty much dead, as we've established. However, the three women are still in court together, have to interact together, which is fairly humiliating for Maria, but there's not much you can do about it. And while all this is going on, Louis isn't just fighting, he's also starting to shift the French court more and more to Versailles. Versailles originally had been a hunting lodge owned by his father, Louis XIII. Louis had visited it as a child and really liked it. He started expanding it from just a hunting lodge into a palace in the 1660s and began using it for massive parties before shifting the entire court and all the administration of the French government there, which allowed Louis to keep watch over the nobles so they couldn't plot against him again. Because remember the drama of the Fronde from Louis's childhood? Yeah, he didn't want that to happen again. Eventually, Versailles would become the massive, beautiful palace monument thing that it is today. In 1672, Louis goes back to the Spanish Netherlands to keep fighting, and Maria has to be regent yet again. In 1674, Louise de la Valerie is officially out of the picture as Louis's mistresses as Louis's mistress, which means that it's just Maria and Madame de Montespan hanging out, awkwardly sitting together, exchanging small talk. And honestly, Madame de Montespan is way more difficult for Maria than Louise had been. Louise was just pretty, while Madame de Montespan is smart, witty, and more than a little mean. So, by the 1670s, life at the French court is getting worse and worse for poor Maria. All of her children but her oldest are dead. 
while Louis's mistresses are having multiple children who are surviving. Louis ends up legitimizing three of his children with Madame de Montespan in 1673, which is yet another slap in the face to Maria. Basically, the only bright spot in her life is the fact that she's getting along pretty well with her sister-in-law, Lieselot. In 1678, she has to serve as Regent of France, yet again, a position that she hates because, surprise, surprise, Louis is out of the country fighting. In the 1680s, things do start to look up for poor Maria. Her beloved surviving son, Louis, gets married. His wife is Maria Anne, the daughter of the Duke of Bavaria. And much like Maria, Maria Anne is super pious and extremely out of place at the court of Versailles. So Maria has a daughter-in-law who she can get along with, much like she had gotten along with with her mother-in-law. 1681 marks another upswing in Maria's life. Madame de Montespan had asked a friend of hers, Madame de Montenon, to be the governess of her children. Madame de Montenon quickly gets influence in the court and becomes very close friends with Louis. And yes, there will be an episode on her later on. And she pushes Louis to actually spend time with his wife. You know, the woman he's been married to for two decades. And due to Madame de Montenon's interference, Louis and Maria do start seeing an improvement in their relationship. Yeah, they're probably not sleeping together anymore, but they're spending time together. They're talking. It seems like they're genuinely friendly. This friendship between the husband and wife is going to last about two years. Because in June 1683, while the court is traveling through the region of Alsace, Maria falls sick. She gets a boil in her armpit and then develops a high fever. When the court returns back to Versailles, the doctors start bleeding her, of course, and giving her various purging medicines in an attempt to rebalance her humors. In response to this, Maria gets sicker and sicker, which really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because when you're sick, Losing your blood and constantly vomiting really doesn't help matters much. Maria Theresa ends up dying on July 30th, 1683 in Versailles at the age of 44. Louis' response to her death is, This is the only chagrin that she ever caused me, which is a pretty cold response. How sweet of you, Louis. Maria Theresa of Spain is buried in the Basilica of Saint-Denis in Paris. So, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick recap. Maria Theresa of Spain was born in 1638. She was the daughter of King Philip of Spain and Elizabeth of France. When she was a child, her mother died and her oldest brother, heir to the throne, died a few years later, so her father decided to marry her brother's fiancé, who just so happened to be his niece, in order to turn out a few more heirs, which definitely isn't problematic at all. A few years after that, Maria got engaged to her double first cousin, Louis XIV of Spain, in order to close a treaty to wrap up 
a decades-long war between France and Spain. As part of her marriage, she was going to have to give up the rights to the Spanish throne so long as France paid her an annual dowry. Spoiler alert, France was not going to pay her said annual dowry. The marriage between Louis and Maria started out fine, by which I mean she got along well with her mother-in-law and gave birth to a son and heir within the year, but Louis XIV quickly took on many mistresses who started having quite a few illegitimate children while all but Maria's first son died in childbirth. Maria and Louis quickly became distant from each other, mostly because Maria didn't fit in in the French court. She couldn't speak French. She didn't like to dance. She was very shy. Really, the only thing she liked to do that helped her fit in was gamble. The next few years, the only big thing that happened in Maria's life was the birth of a child named Maria Anna, who, due to oxygen deprivation during labor, was purple, which led to all sorts of scandalous rumors that Maria had secretly had an affair with a man of African descent, and the baby was secretly half black. A African nun would, a nun of African descent would pop up a few decades later, claiming to be descended from the royal family, but that is almost certainly nonsense. Then in 1665, Maria's dad died, and the th throne of Spain was a little bit up for grabs. Yes, her father did have a son, but he was super sickly and was probably going to die soon. And Louis began wondering if maybe Maria did have a claim to the throne after all, because he hadn't exactly paid her dowry, which meant technically she hadn't given up her rights to the throne of Spain, which meant maybe, theoretically, he could grab the Spanish Netherlands for her, but Spain said no, so France and Spain went to war over the Spanish Netherlands for quite a long time. During this time of war, Maria had to serve as regent of France, a position she did not particularly care for, but she did it anyway because it was her job. During this time period, Louis was bouncing between mistresses, which Maria certainly did not like, but he befriended one of his mistress's friends who pushed Louis to, you know, actually spend time with his wife. So starting in 1680, Maria and Louis did begin getting a little closer. That didn't last all that long because Maria got sick in the summer of 1683 and died on July 30th, 1683, at the age of 44. So that is Maria Theresa, the first wife of Louis XIV. I know this episode was a little bit shorter than usual, but honestly, that's because there's not that much about her. She very much is a shadow presence in his life because she wasn't involved in politics, they didn't have the greatest relationship. She was overshadowed by his mistresses. Honestly, I feel pretty sorry for Maria Theresa. She seems like a nice, quiet woman who maybe would have been happier marrying a lesser prince or a duke or just being a nun. She really shouldn't have been queen of France. Like, it just was a position not 
suited for her, as weird as it sounds. Yeah, I definitely feel bad for her. Most of my sources for this episode, most of my research for this episode came from Holly Sennett's article on Maria Teresa, the Voltaire Foundation's article, The Queen, the Dwarf, and the Black Nun, Antonia Fraser's book, Love in Louis XIV, Louis XIV by John Wolfe, and the Versailles official website. As always, I'll be posting a full bibliography plus images on my website, sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. And like I said at the top, I know times right now are financially tough for some people, but if you do want to financially support the podcast, I always hugely appreciate it, and you can do so by being a patron at patreon.com forward slash sadgirlstudyguides. We have a ton of levels, $1 a month, $5 a month, and $10 a month. They all have different rewards, and it really does mean the world to, the world to me. But if you can't, I also totally understand, given the ongoing situation. Um, next week, the topic of the podcast is going to be one of Louis's many mistresses, probably the most salacious, the infamous Madame de Montespan. And if you want to chat with me on social media, you can do so at Twitter, at sadgirlstudypod, or on Instagram, which I haven't really been updating, but I'm going to, I promise, I have a lot of good memes up my sleeves, at sadgirlstudy. As always, the best way to help the show grow is tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And let me know how I'm doing, read a review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks!